Welcome to Shortcut to Sunday. I'm Ben. And I'm Bruce. And this is your podcast for September 29th, 2019. We are coming to you not live from Holy Family Episcopal Church in, in Fishers, Indiana. And uh, and we're, we're like I said last week, we're kind of uh, we're, we're getting ready to close out the year C season right. uh, in uh, proper 21. And uh, uh, so we are moving uh, quite along. We're almost done with September and, and on to October, the best month. Of the year, of course, because uh, that's my first month. So, ah, so um, that's what marks it. Is there anything else in until this world then? It me? was meaningless, well, right? Until until I was born, October <laughs> had no meaning. Mm. So, uh, but uh, but yeah, uh, we're we're uh, uh, most most homecomings have have occurred by now, as far as the school year goes, and it's just it, time is flying by, and we're all feel, feeling older. So. Um, Let's move into the Stump the Priest section. Uh, I've got a D word in from the Episcopal Dictionary. Okay. And it the word is dalmatic. Oh, I know that one. Yes. <laughs> I figured you would. Uh, but uh, I, as I was looking for, I've, I've been kind of going through the, uh, the the alphabet and trying to do an A. The Which B, the only Z. occurred to me this morning. Right. <laughs> Uh, but uh, as I was searching the D uh, def- defined name uh, words, I this was one that I'm that I think most parishioners probably wouldn't really know. Uh, it's, no it's, reason it's for a them to. Terminology that doesn't really uh, occur in our everyday life, uh, but probably would in the life of, of, a, of a priest. And so, uh, I have a very lengthy. Uh, uh, definition from the Episcopal Church website. So let's hear yours first, because I, I I feel like yours will be a little bit briefer and more on point uh, as, as opposed to the meanderings of this definition here. Okay. The dalmatic is the most formal vestment a deacon wears, mm-hmm. and it's similar in use as the priest's chasual, which is the garment that uh, looks like a poncho. Yeah, in turn, it's a for the priest. It's a big um, oval of cloth with a hole in the middle where priest puts his or her head. For the deacon, his or her vestment looks similar from a distance, but it has armholes and as well as a head hole. <laughs> and is nope, just armholes. Yeah, <laughs> and it, it is stitched from armpit to seam, unlike the mm-hmm. chasuble. And usually, uh, ideally, has a coordination in its decoration with the priest's chasuble, but not always because they're not inexpensive. And so you can't always get all these things financially uh, coordinating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and its uh, sister or second sister is a, a tunicle, which is what a, a subdeacon wears, a person who is not ordained, a deacon is ordained in the Episcopal Church, um, but a subdeacon is someone who's not ordained and has an important liturgical role so that they wear a tunicle, which looks very similar to a dalmatic, except in the decoration, as I recall. Um, and here at Holy Family, the deacon usually wears her dalmatic at Christmas and Easter, and... Um, if there's another high holy day or sometimes at a funeral, someday that we really are uh, dressing up to the fullest, she'll wear it. Right. Yeah, that's that's uh, that is the Dalmatic. Yeah, that is that is correct. Uh, I, I just because I love how deep into the weeds. Yeah. This website goes. 
I'm still going to read uh, what they have to say about the Dabmatic because it's uh, it, it goes into like the historical context, so it's kind of fun. Uh, it's the distinctive vestment of deacons in the Western Church. It may be worn in any litur liturgy in any season. The term is derived from a white tunic worn in 2nd century Dalmatia. The Dalmatic was an ample white tunic with wide sleeves, bands around the cuffs, and clavi or colored bands descending from the shoulders to the hem. Historically, it was worn over an alb by both bishops and deacons by the 4th century, but it did not become a vestment until around the 9th century. The Dalmatic was accepted as the vestment worn by the deacon at the Eucharist by the 9th century. Eventually, deacons adopted the Eastern Orarian, mm -hmm. okay, or stole, worn on top and hanging straight down from the left shoulder. Over the centuries, the Dalmatic, like other vestments, lost its full shape, the stole uh, disappeared beneath the outer garment by the late Middle Ages. Deacons, or more commonly priests acting as liturgical deacons, were wearing a short uh, dalmatic in the color of the day, ornate in fabric, fabric ordained with uh, or, or, orphreys? Or, yeah, you said it right. Orphreys. Uh, two vertical and two horizontal with narrow sleeves and open at the sides. The dalmatic has varied widely in appearance, and this variety continues in the Episcopal Church today. In many places, the medieval dalmatic has given way to a full-length white or off-white tunic, which is simple and functional. It is worn sometimes over an alb, sometimes by itself, as a combination cassock-alb dalmatic. Oh, I didn't Deacons know Deacons often wear the stole on top, placed over the left shoulder, and tied under the right arm, or hanging straight down. So, very wordy definition. That's but, right. Uh, but uh, it, what, what I found interesting about that, and one of the reasons why I like uh, reading the full mm -hmm. uh, the full term definition, is it shows you uh, not only like the rich history that some of these things come from, which is the reason why we have words for a bunch of things that you would just be like, like what is, why does that need a word? Right. But <laughs> and from a foreign language. And from a foreign language. But it comes. It goes. It, you know, you're talking about an item uh, within the church service that has a history of over a thousand years, yeah. you know, and it really kind of gives you that, that weight and that sense of, uh, of, of, it, of, uh, of, of time and, and, uh, and over the centuries of, uh, worship services. Yeah, and, being and, connected and, with all that. Right. Being, being continuity. Connected. And the, and the, and, and from different regions and how different regions played into the trimmings, mm -hmm. you know, the and, and adjustments to the, to the garment. It's just kind of interesting. Yeah. Uh, but I'm a nerd. So, <laughs> uh, which, uh, I'm sure I, enough people have fallen asleep to that. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, so wake up and we're back, uh, <laughs> and ready for, we're reeled for, back in uh, right from, Ready that, for the legendary trivia land. You can wake back up and, uh, and uh, uh, so Just quit fast forwarding. <laughs> uh, so we're back, and uh, this week, just like last week, we have uh, uh, readings from the same books, mm -hmm. uh, which doesn't happen all too often. But right. it, but it every every now and again we're doing we do some things sequentially, as you pointed out. Our first reading here actually is sequential ish but it goes backwards <laughs> in in uh, in the book so our first reading is from amos right uh but it is earlier in the book of amos than we read last week so it's kind of mm -hmm. interesting that we kind of take a take a step back but uh as we had discussed in last week's podcast obviously that reading was paired uh, specifically with uh the the dishonest manager gospel uh, dishonest reading. steward uh gospel reading so uh understandable why 
the powers that be would have fast forwarded in the book and mm -hmm. said like we're gonna that's, this, that's the key one. Pick this piece out, and then we'll come. And you'll find, yeah, today's Amos will also coordinate with the Luke passage for I, this it, week. How how thoughtful. Yeah. Preachers um, preacher certainly appreciate it. Yeah, I, I'm sure. Give me enough enough uh, firepower in there. Yeah. Um, so this reading is Amos chapter 6, uh, verse 1a, uh, and then it skips a couple of verses, and we read 4 through 7. Alas, for those who are at ease in Zion, and for those who feel secure on Mount Samaria. Alas, for those who lie on beds of ivory, and lounge on their couches, and eat lambs from the flock, and calves from the stall, who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp, and like David, improvise on instruments of music, who drink wine from bowls, and anoint themselves with the finest oils, but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore they shall now be the first to go into exile, and the revelry of the loungers shall pass away. Um, one thing that I think is interesting, like the the, the way the verse ends, uh, or the reading ends, like, okay, you're, you know, you're going to exile the loungers and the, the, the slothful, the lazy. But one thing that, one group of people that I wouldn't, like, it's kind of weird that gets lumped in there is like, uh, I understand who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp, uh, but and like David, improvise on instruments of music. It's anti-jazz. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. I mean, that. but like, you know, <laughs> improvisation on music uh, on musical instruments. Why is that lounge-like and and slothful? Like that's in in modern senses. That's a that's a that's a pretty pretty uh, impressive skill to to, to have it if you can <laughs> improvise on instruments or is that just pointing out like people who like are just not they're doing it just uh, to pass the time and, and yeah it's sort of like the thing of um, you know when when someone's in college and everyone they know thinks they're a great musician after two beers yeah, I would I would definitely exile never... all those college students who played uh, dr drums or uh, 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 acoustic guitar on the hill uh, right. to try to pick up girls. Uh, yeah, that would be the first of my exile list as well. Yeah, that they're the the yeah. So it's not I love jazz. It's not anti jazz. It's instead here are folks that are too lazy even to learn the song. Uh, okay, um, and just so maybe a little lost on on our translation. Yeah, it, yeah. It's really what it means to say. Yeah, I kind of figured that probably wasn't what they were. <laughs> and um, part and part of Jew, and this is poetry, mm -hmm. and part of Jewish poetry is repetition of theme, not words. And so it starts with who those who sing idle songs, and so that's how you know that's what this is referring to, mm -hmm. not mm -hmm. a particular musical style, but rather that these folks. Um, have so much time on their hands that they can sing the, the worst pop songs in the world because uh, they'll still have time to sing the good music at another time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you do get the kind of the feeling of, of, of sloth and and maybe you and, and the feeling of gluttony as well. Uh, Very, you know, yeah, just, it's supposed to be a theme of gluttony. Yeah. And uh, so, so what is this exile that Amos is talking about, though? Uh, it's the big exile that takes place about 40 years later when the Babylonians swoop in and take all of the people 
out of um, Israel who have any kind of skills that would be helpful to the Babylonians, which is almost everyone, mm. and um, destroy Jerusalem and the temple and uh, hold those folks in exile for decades before they're allowed to come back. So the Babylonians took the loungers. Took the loungers uh -huh. because uh, they had money. They had they had money and, and lambs to eat from their yeah. flock. And they're like, oh, that looks nice. I'll take and that. And took all the artisans. Um, yeah, took the upper classes, the middle, what we would now call upper classes, middle classes, skilled people, and left behind only those who would not be able to uh, pull their weight either by uh, bringing their fortunes with them or by skills. Mm. Interesting. So... Um, as far as in Amos's time, we already, like I said last week, we read uh, where he was uh, um, chastising the the um, practices of the business community, the unethical business practices, right? right. And uh, and and this is uh, then um, a this is the leisure time of these right. same unethical people. Right, 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 right. So, so she he's tackling, you know, uh, several different aspects of society. It's not a, it, his his uh, his book is not wagging the finger at a, at a single single necessarily a single group. He's covering different well, facets of their their society that 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 he has fallen short and needs to be he, fixed. He, or yes, but the two passages we have pretty much are the same group. Okay. Where the people who are the cheats in business, because they cheat at business, have lots of leisure time. Gotcha. Gotcha. There aren't that many folks like that, with that kind of financial resources in the time of Amos. So um, do you think that he's uh, focusing on the individuals or the practices? Because it, 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 in in the beginning part of this hmm, that's an interesting question. verse, it's, 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 is he really trying to set the tone of like, don't be like these people or... Or cursed be these people. Well, not cursed be these people, but it's more of if this is your behavior, there are going to be consequences. Mm. And so, uh, it's, and the folks that Amos was talking to was prophesizing to did not change their behavior, and so the, those consequences came to pass. So I'm, it's it's not that he's laying a curse on them, and there is a specific genre of curse within mm -hmm. the Old Testament, but instead it's that, dudes, you are so off track that things are going to get really bad. Hmm. That, right. that you're cheating the poor, you're indulging yourself, you're you know, lighting your cigars off $20 bills and have gold toilets or you know, whatever your visions of excess wealth are and the wasting of it. When if you have excess wealth, if you have a lot of wealth, you should be using it to feed the poor and to improve society instead of indulging yourself. Interesting. So it, it's, it's a, a wide paintbrush he's using. Mm -hmm. And if someone is not extremely wealthy and or is extremely wealthy and yet is giving away lots of money and is working hard to improve equity and justice in the society doesn't apply to them. Hmm. Very interesting. Very good. Anything more on Amos? 
it's a fascinating book. Not too long. Read the whole thing. There you go. My good usual, plug. my usual plug. Good plug. Very good. Very good. All right. Well, then uh, let's move on. Let's read here from First uh, Timothy verse or chapter six, verse six through nineteen. Uh, that reads this way. Six uh, starts off, of course there is great gain and godliness combined with contentment, for we brought nothing into the world so that we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. But as for you, man of God, shun all this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and for which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep the commandment without spot or blame until the manifestation of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the right time. Boy, I read that weird. Which he, <laughs> which he will bring about at the right time. He who is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords. It is he alone who has immortally... Immortality, thank you, and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for those who at the present age are rich, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of the life that really is life. Um, because you pointed it out last week, uh, this definitely, you, you kind of indicated like the, the uh, reading in First Timothy, a portion of it was kind of a, kind of a prayer. Yeah. And this also then yeah. sounds like a prayer to me. Uh, is that... You're right on. Okay. Yeah, that it's quoting uh, some kind of liturgical hymn or prayer or poem that was mm. used in community worship. Very interesting. Um, any indication is like the whole thing at the prayer, or no, um, like any indication as to where that might start? Let's see. Um, basically, verses thirteen through sixteen. Okay. In the presence of God, who gives life to all things. Yeah. <clears throat> and then yeah. through the, it is he alone who has immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Interesting. I don't think I've ever really realized that as we read uh, um, some of the New Testament yeah. uh, readings. But uh, but is, is that kind of common, that there's these kind of things sprinkled throughout, kind of like a liturgical... Yeah. Yeah, and especially in in prayer of some Paul's, sort. Paul's, for sure, Paul letters. Mm -hmm. They're very helpful because then we see some of the earliest Christian prayers. Mm. So, for instance, in the 
um, Episcopal Church and many other liturgical churches, such as Roman Catholic, are words in the Holy Eucharist over the bread and wine, mm -hmm. which describe the Last Supper, are taken from Paul's letters rather than the Gospels because of Paul's letters being older. Mm -hmm. So we want to get back to the most, of, as, pos, as much as possible, get back to the oldest liturgical language for the Holy Eucharist. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, uh, so it's very common to have liturgical quotations. Yeah. Um, not to... Um, this you, you had mentioned last week also that the, sometimes the second reading doesn't really line up, but this does have a, a tinge of, uh, of, uh, of, of commonality with the, uh, yeah. the gospel here. Yeah, and for this coming Sunday, all three line up very well with the theme of um, ethical richness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's too it's too bad we're not doing stewardship right now, right? <laughs> yeah, you Just almost have this hit everybody over the head with a hammer. <laughs> guilt, guilt. Mm -hmm. Don't be a dishonest manager. Uh, don't uh, don't be slothful. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't lie on your marble couch for goodness' sake. Right, right. It's very uncomfortable. I had to get rid of that thing. Um, but uh, but yeah, talking about for the love of money is a, is a root of all kinds of evil. And in their eagerness uh, to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith. Yeah, um, and just a little trivia thing that the money is the root of all evil is a common saying. Mm -hmm. um, it actually was already a common saying when this was written. It comes out of Greek philosophy mm -hmm. and proverbs and things. Very interesting. Um, but it also is not... Um, the, so note the biblical part is not the root of evil, but is the uh, a, root a root of all sorts of right. Yeah, um, and one of the things that uh, um, had come up, uh, at least with, within the, uh, the the youth, when we were uh, working this last week on uh, on on some of the readings, um, we kind of had a little bit of a discussion of. Um, it, it's in the translation. It's it, it's money, and that's mm -hmm. most certainly that's what the the, the the kind of word that they were talking about. But in the spirit of what we're uh, what's being discussed, um, money could also, in many circumstances, be um, substituted by um, selfishness. Yeah, uh, that um, one of the one of the aspects of of uh, the discussion about you know setting your mind on, on, uh, financial related things, uh, or the kingdom of God is, you know, and, and last week's, uh, uh, passage talking about, you can't serve two masters. Mm -hmm. Um, you're, you're talking about either selfish, your selfish nature, or you're talking about, uh, you know, giving yourself over to, to, uh, to, to God's kingdom, That's God's right. plan. And you, those two are in conflict yeah. in many instances. And, well, within and within church circles in the last 200, no, more than 200 years, there's been a lot of self-examination, not enough, about substituting power mm. for money in mm. terms of uh, trying to keep ourselves accountable, that you may have a, a person in church leadership who completely follows a non-selfish financial lifestyle, but is very greedy for power. Mm, and, sure. 
um, exercise it for their own self-interest and their own puffy, puffing themselves up. Um, yeah. And certainly that takes place in the rest of society as well. It's a very similar crowd there. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You, you know, yeah. Money, power, selfishness. Yeah. I fame, mean it, fame, fortune, money, yep. power, whatever it is, as the youth said, that um, comes out of our selfish desires can be plugged in there. Right. Um, now, as far as the, uh, um, I, don't, I can't remember if we got into it, but the spirit of this letter uh, from, I'll say in quotations, Paul, yeah. uh, to, to, to Timothy, like, do do we have a sense as to why this was was hmm. written? Yeah, um, like what was the? It it seems to be a letter that's written to the church to congregations that are becoming established, are becoming um, institutionalized mm -hmm. for better or for worse, and trying to hold them, trying to get them back into better ethical behavior. Hmm. as the temptations of power, the temptations of money, the temptations of um, all sorts of selfish things begin to infect the institution of the local congregation. Hmm. And it's it's not a unique problem. And so that makes sense. As evidenced by the fact that Amos 800 years prior, yeah. <laughs> eight 900 years prior, was doing the same thing, uh, maybe not... I, I'm not entirely sure if the uh, intended receivers were the church in particular, or if it was just people in power or the community at large. Well, in uh, the time of Amos, they overlapped. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, so they were. And yeah, so Timothy um, writes about features of Christian commu worshiping communities that mark them as being more developed than the older letters that we know were from Paul and identifies problems of a more developed institution. Hmm. Okay. Uh, so it, yeah, it's a, the church is being to go to go astray already. And we're still just only decades after the resurrection of Jesus. Right. Yeah. Well, that doesn't take us long to I get just, off the rails. So we shouldn't be surprised that we still <laughs> face those issues. Right. Um, Anything? I was trying to see if there was anything else I had questions on. I don't think I have anything. Uh, should we move on to Luke? Yeah, the last thing I'll say is this is the um, conclusion of the letter. There's just um, two more verses that follow that's a, a reading form to Timothy. So this was the summary and um, crescendo of this letter. Well, since we won't, uh, we probably won't be coming back to first Timothy then in the following week. Right. Uh, let's, let's hear the end. What's okay. the, uh, what's, what's the conclusion? Timothy guard what has been entrusted to you. Avoid the profane chatter and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge by professing it. Some have missed the mark as regards the faith. Grace be with you. Hmm. Fiend. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's I, I I always I find especially these uh, these New Testament letters uh, to be interesting how uh, as they you know they they read like letters yeah uh, the, maybe the meat and the bulk of the the the, the middle uh, we kind of uh, forget that because you know they get into the the point that they have uh, and uh, yeah they uh, sound like theological essays right 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 and and uh, we kind of lose track of that and then uh, the 
get to experience the we don't often get to experience the the bookend. Right. A lot of times in these lectionary readings, we skip the intro and we skip mm-hmm. the <laughs> skip yeah. the conclusion, and you know you kind of forget that you're like, oh no, in this case, this guy was writing this other guy, or this guy was writing this church, or this guy yeah. was writing this city. And sometimes they're very personal. Of you know, please send my cloak; it's getting cold, kind of thing. So mm-hmm. it's it's worth. Even if you don't want to read the whole letter, just read the opening and closing verses of each letter. Sure. You'll For, get some insights into the humanity of the yeah, author. Yeah, I was just going to say, it definitely humanizes yeah. the, the uh, humanizes it. So, uh, All right. Well, then in uh, Luke, uh, we are in chapter 16 still. And uh, in this lectionary reading, we're uh, starting off on 19, verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what, felt, uh, with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things and Lazarus in like manner, in like manner evil things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. He said, Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Um, It's interesting that the the poor man's name is Lazarus, uh, uh, just because we have a very famous gospel reading uh, or or story in multiple gospels. No? No. No. Okay. Only in John. Only in John. Okay. Uh, um, about Lazarus and and coming coming back from the dead. Yeah. Um, was is this any reference back to Lazarus, Jesus' friend? Almost certainly not. Okay. Just wanted to make sure. Yeah. Um, see if he was drawing on his own right. internal well, relationships. Th- that's a natural question. Uh, but yeah, it's you know, this is a fictitious story. And um, is this it, labeled as a parable? This is not. Uh, no, uh, but the, it starts with a um, grammatical construction that is in our in English would be once upon a time. Mm. So mm-hmm. there was a rich man. I mean, there was a is like saying once upon a time in the Greek construction. Right. So okay. so that it's that marker. This is a made up fictitious story. That carries wisdom. Gotcha. Yeah. It's a fable. It is. I gotcha. Okay. And um, what was I going to add? Uh, the, um, so in verse 23, we do talk about, um, um, we bring in Hades or, or, mm-hmm. or hell. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Or, okay. Two different – Hades and hell are not the same. So jump into that real quick. Yeah. Hades is the place of the dead. Okay. Whereas we say hell, we mean a place of punishment. Hades was was that an inherently a concept within their own culture, or was that end, ended up being borrowed from others? Borrowed from Greek and Roman. Okay, I was going to say I don't think that that yeah. was part of their culture per se. And within the Hebrew scriptures, it never appears as a place of torment. It's just a place of non-existence. Hmm. That um, the, the people who are not it who are not in the afterlife, are not being punished, they simply cease to exist. Whereas those who uh, are given by God the gift of afterlife mm -hmm. are in a um, pleasant place. I don't think the term paradise is used. I'm not positive of that. Uh, but that, that's the Hebrew scripture construction of the afterlife. So likewise, it's either good or you don't exist. Gotcha. So, so it, it's because he uses uh, Hades in this story. Uh, is that also implying that not necessarily he's talking about uh, heaven, right. For for Lazarus, right? That he's just it 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 implies he's not trying to give a theological lesson of the afterlife, mm -hmm. but instead is trying to pull popular culture images, okay, and um, to to teach the more important lesson that's at the end of the story of the fable of the story right 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 yeah because the, the 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 i've heard uh, uh people talk about this passage which is only only, only luke. in luke um where it, it, they do focus on the you know yeah. it, it almost seems like you know you're, you they, they 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 focus on what they feel is just punishment for the uh for for the uh the rich man who didn't uh who didn't take care of the poor yeah uh, the poor guy um which, to be fair, I think there is an aspect of, you know, would something have turned out differently in the story? Is that an implication by Jesus that something would have turned yeah. out differently? Yeah. Um, but as you point out, the tail end of the the uh, the chapters here that that are selected for this reading, his point really is more like almost an implication of like, you're not in Hades because you behaved necessarily because you behaved this way. And this is where Lazarus is. My implication is you also didn't listen to Moses and the prophets. Yeah. Uh, and that is what instructed your behavior. Mm -hmm. uh, Lazarus was different. Uh, uh, although it doesn't imply that Lazarus did uh, anything righteous or good uh, but it does imply that he did listen to Moses and the prophets. Right. So that even even the poorest of the poor, uh, yeah. he, he paid attention to um, what was important and you did not. Yeah. And, um, and there are two important things here, at least two. One is... Nope, only two. <laughs> I'm only allowed to. You said two, you're stuck. Um, first is that the, the time of Jesus as is true with a, a certain corner of Christianity today, there is a presumption that if you are in God's graces, you are wealthy. And if you are poor, it is because you are not faithful to God. Mm -hmm. And this turns that on its head. Right. Just like verses prior to that. Yeah. As... Yeah. And right now the prosperity gospel is very popular in the United States and Africa. Um, but this is one of those places where it's like, no, 
No, God does not reward you on earth because you're a faithful Christian. That's with finance, with financial riches. That's not how it works. And the second thing to note is Jesus does not say that Jesus says though that if you listen to um, Moses and the prophets, mm-hmm. you do have access to eternal life. So it breaks also the anti-Semitic teaching that Jews cannot get into heaven. Hmm. That right here is no, Jews get into heaven. Right. Um, those who listen to Moses and the prophets. Um, and he doesn't, he had an opportunity to say only those who respect the resurrected one mm. or something like that. Right, sure. Um, but he doesn't take that up. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, it, he also um, uses Abraham uh, in a position where one would think Jesus would have put his father. Right, right. That's another, is, another way to show the um, primary place the Jews have. Right, right, right. Okay, so that so perhaps that was very intentional. Yeah. Uh, but that would also, if that were the case, then you one would also think that that implies that's intentional from Luke as a result of writing this, right? Because could be a- anti-Semitism wasn't really uh, an issue um, with among Jews during the time of Jesus. Actually right. saying this, right? That was something that came along a little later yeah. in the early church, and uh, after very heavy persecution for uh, uh, that that really played out. Um, Though actually, really early on. although not the not to say that it wasn't there. Well, no. What I was going to interrupt you about was that there's not a lot of historical evidence that the temple authorities persecuted Christians. Hmm. That there, there was, there's lots of um, historical and a little bit of archaeological evidence that shows the Romans persecuted Christians. Okay. But all of the um, secular evidence, for the lack of a better term we have, showed that Jews and Christians were united against the Romans. Gotcha. And mm-hmm. that the um, passages, particularly in the Gospel of John, that... Um, Talk about Jews persecuting the early, persecuting Jesus, basically, and to a certain degree implying the persecution of Christians were around the dynamic we've talked about before on this podcast of eliminating Romans as the bad guys to try to protect the early right. church from the Romans. Yeah, I was going to say that. Yeah, that. so so Luke is Luke is a, a kind of re-threading that um, and tying Christianity back uh, yeah. uh, uh, to, to Judaism, whereas reknitting uh, it together, John was a little bit more creating a, a little bit more of a distance there. Yeah, yeah, so. more of a differentiation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, Luke, Luke very much presumed that Jews and Christians were um, not different; they were all all together. Yeah. And and at that time, they would have been. They still would have been worshiping in synagogues together and mm-hmm. um, breaking bread together and. Um, probably, certainly, at least some Jews would even go to Christian worship without ever s- stopping their self-identity as Jews. Hmm. Uh, Very there wasn't a need to have a firm divide. Yeah, and, and uh, we, we as, as we read this, 
parishioners now, modern age, uh, the the point of, uh, or at least the point of the reading for me is, is as you pointed out, like the tail end of, uh, mm-hmm. of, of the reading here, because it's, it, it it it's uh, reasonable for for me to put myself in the shoes of the rich man and go like oh yeah that would be you know that would probably I would like to even think that that would be my uh, my my first thought of like oh I hope that my friends and family yeah. are spared what I'm experiencing and and in that moment it's actually you know the the rich man is is seeking mercy for not himself yeah it's an act of generosity it's it's a very it it, but it it, it's pointing out like you know that's really nice of you uh rich man but uh people have to lead their own life and you can't force you know that's not what these miraculous acts are are are, you know miraculous acts are for is is so so that uh everybody will know you know and there will be no question well, yeah, and and of course we know yeah, that after the resurrection of Jesus, immediately there were questions mm-hmm. about whether or not this actually happened, right? And, or was it a trick pulled by the followers of Jesus? Sure, um, and and so many other uh, interpretations. So this, I think, is also a reassurance to early Christians and to us today that people are not going to be convinced simply by the act of Jesus's resurrection. And so they're not being convinced is not any proof that it did not happen. Could this also be, (coughs) excuse me. Mm -hmm. uh, Could this also be a, I don't want to say a chastisement, uh, but, but kind of a helping to redirect thought for the early church uh, because I would have assumed, I I would assume that, uh, and we've read it in other places where it's implied the, the the thought was the second coming is right around the corner. Yeah. Could this also be a message to those same people of like, look, you don't you don't need the second coming to you know, to to Sure. To have that you know, that would be that miraculous act. We're not you're not always gonna get this mm-hmm. undeniable uh uh um experience that would very plainly and clearly show you the path. It's yeah. like you've, you're going to have to, maybe this is settling in for the, you might have to live with the fact that that's not going to happen in your lifetime. And yeah. you're going to have to take it on. Uh, you're going to have to take on um, your, your belief and your faith based on those who have come before you, not right. based on, you know, a sign from God. Yeah. Yeah. There, there won't be a bolt of lightning for every single person. Right. Uh, and it's, it's something that the human race has always dealt with. The old thing of you can get four people witness the same event and there won't be agreement as to even what happened. Mm-hmm. And so part of what this says is you can, there's not going to be an empirical set of data that can substitute for faith. Hmm. That there always will have to be that step a person takes to say, yeah, God does love me and and I want to try loving God. Yeah. Um, and there, you know, there's, I haven't seen a mountain moved by faith. I haven't gotten to see the resurrected Jesus myself, but I'm going to try to believe. Hmm. And that, that's what this story is really about primarily. Very good. Very interesting. All right. Well, with that, I think we'll conclude.
uh-huh. our podcast. This was uh, this was the podcast for September 29th, 2019, proper 21. Uh, uh, we really appreciate you joining us uh, this week. Uh, we, as always, we have uh, services at eight and ten. Uh, so uh, look forward to seeing you here, and and uh, and we'll hear we'll hear what Bruce comes up with uh, to to cover this week. Actually, it'll be Deacon Kathy Scott. Ooh, it'll be Deacon Kathy. We will judge someone else. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure, Kathy. Yeah, I'm looking forward. To, we're looking definitely looking forward yeah. to it. So uh, so uh, we hope you join us uh, uh, next Sunday. And uh, uh, in the meantime, I'm still Ben, and I'm still Bruce, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.